1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, and here's our part we're zooming in on today, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Welcome back to Bible time. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, please expose this cloak of covetousness. Please protect us from it. Please rip it off the wolves that wear it, Father. And Lord God, expose them for what they are. Please help us, Lord, to be free from covetousness, which you say in your word is idolatry. We love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, flattery we looked at yesterday. Flattery is the tool of the whore. Flattery is the weapon of the Antichrist. Flattery will get people um, to change what they will do and what they will say uh, very subtly so that people that fall under the spell of flattery um, begin to trust in the flatterer instead of God, and they follow the flatterer anywhere. And um, whereas the flatterer, someone who falls under the spell of flattery, will begin to believe wild things, unimaginable things. We looked at that yesterday in Proverbs, how that woman would take the young man and she caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me this day have I paid my vows. And she began to tell him about her religiosity. And this woman then, she took this man and got him to trust her. And with her flattery, he followed her into the bed of adultery and into death, the Bible says, till a dart strike through his liver. And what happens with flattery, whenever people can get you with flattering words and they get that hook in your nose, that ring in their nose, in your nose, and they begin to lead you by your nose to your destruction, you will, because of your trust in them, begin to swallow things that are inconceivable to thinking people. Anyone that is thinking and reading the Bible, whenever they look at the things that someone under the spell of flattery is saying and doing, it astounds them. And this happens all the time. Um, I've heard a, a Bible teacher once say, that he has seen um, godly men with beautiful godly wives leave their wives and their beautiful families um, for some, just, just to be frank, ugly lady. Some lady that could not compare in physical um, abilities and physical beauty with the wife that he already had and go into a life of degradation, go into a life of shame, go into a life of ignominy, go into a life of poverty and all of it to follow this woman that couldn't even compare to the woman he had to begin with. What happened? And And he pointed out, um, that that often it's that one that would say thank you, the one that would thank him and get and praise him that that man would follow. What is that? That's flattery. He she would use the praise and she would use the thankfulness and the gratefulness to get him to follow her like an ox to his slaughter. And so we would look at that and we would say, wow, here's this man. He's got a good job. He's got a good home. He's got a good wife. He's got beautiful kids. He seems to be successful. And now, three years later, he's living in a trailer park. He's surrounded by trash and empty beer cans. He's put on 50 pounds of weight. And he has some old hag that works at the gas station or some waitress down there that stole his heart from his wife. And he ran. What happened? It doesn't make sense to the thinking mind. It goes beyond anything that you you just can't. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And in our carnal minds, we say, well, yeah. If maybe some superstar from Hollywood rolled into town and said, all right, Mr. Nice Guy, I want you to come with me. I've got millions of dollars. I'm beautiful. I'm educated. I've got everything. I can give you the world at your fingertips. The carnal mind might say, well, that kind of makes sense. Do you see what I'm saying? The carnal mind might say, that kind of makes sense that that man would be tempted by that. But a lot of times, it doesn't even make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense, is be- and the reason that they do it anyway, is because they're under a spell. <clears throat> now, we linked yesterday flattery to witchcraft. Flattery is manipulation. And witchcraft is manipulation. Now, witchcraft uses spiritual power to manipulate. Flattery also uses spiritual power to manipulate whenever it's extra powerful, but it uses praise. Flattery uses praise and it uses false praise to get people to eat out of your hand and to follow you, to falsely build them up and give them a sense of their worth that is tied to your words. And then you can drag them around by the chains of your words 
and make them do whatever you want. This is why Jim Jones, the Kool-Aid man, could get 300 people to go to an island in the Pacific and drink poison Kool-Aid on purpose and all die. He told them to do it, and they did it. Why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense. They were under the spell of flattery. So, And this explains many of the cults. And the Bible talks about the great whore. We examined all this yesterday, so we're just going to quickly review it and move on. But the tool of the whore is flattery. And the great whore will flatter people. And in walks a woman, and her husband is died, and they tell her, that she can secure his eternal state. And they give her the power over where her husband spends eternity and they flatter her and then they tell her that if she will do this and do that and if she takes the sacraments and if she gets baptized and they give her all these false hopes and they flatter her into thinking that she is in control of her eternal destiny and then she willingly yields to them and their authority because they are the ones that have built her up. So it's a vicious cycle. And this is why you have the Catholic religion. Catholics, by and large, do not even know what they supposedly believe. By and large, your average Catholic, I'm not talking about the ones that study hard, your average Catholic has absolutely no idea what the Bible says about virtually anything. They know the name Jesus, and they know that they're supposed to go take the Mass, and they know that they need to be baptized, and they're trusting in the church, and they go to the church and they make confession and they take the mass and the priest says a bunch of words a lot of times in latin and then they feel real good about themselves they've been flattered and they're following these false priests straight into the bowels of hell who are giving them false hopes of false righteousness And that's how cults work. Flattery. Now, to a person that knows the truth, to a person that understands the reality of the Word of God and is humbled before God enough to hold the Bible as the final authority, flattery has no power. The antidote to flattery is a broken and a contrite heart before God. And by the way, that's all that has to happen to break the spell of anybody under a cult. All they need to see is their desperate need for a Savior. All they need to see is their position as a sinner in the sight of God. And once they see their desperate need, it will cause them, it will open their eyes to the lies. The danger will cause them to look for the reality and will break the spell of the flatterer. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. But until someone sees their need, They will never listen to you if you try to tell them about the lies that the flatterer is telling them because they love being flattered. And that if you attack the flatterer, you are attacking the one you are attacking the one under the spell of the flattery. Because their entire self-worth is built up and based on the flatterer, by the flatterer. And if you tear down the flatterer, you tear down their own self-image. And they are their own God when it comes down to it. They're worshiping themselves as the raw reality of it. But whenever you attack the religious system that has flattered them into that position, then you attack their own self-image. And you have got to take them and show them the word of God that says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and show them their need of a Savior before they will be able to break free from the spell of the flatterer. Now the cloak of covetousness is different. The gospel of flattery. Flattery builds up the person's self-worth. The gospel of flattery makes a person think more highly of themselves than they ought and builds up their own religious abilities. This is like the Hebrew Roots Movement that teaches people to keep the law for righteousness. Oh, because we love him, they say. But if you talk to them, they all must admit eventually it is for righteousness. And they really can't get around it as much as they try. And this whole movement that is done is designed to flatter the people. And they get built up on the keeping of the law. And they are stuck in it. And they're under the spell of it. And they cannot comprehend reason. You cannot get through to them with reason. um, Because of the spell of the covetousness. Now, or of the flattery. Now, the cloak of covetousness is very different. 
Um, covetousness and a cloak of covetousness is veiling true intentions and words by inciting the ungodly desires and greedy nature of the hearers. Do you hear me today? Do you hear me today? Veiling true intentions and words by inciting the ungodly desires and greedy nature of the hearers. And we can go to 2 Peter 2 for this. We're going to head over there. By the way, as we were talking about um, dealing with them, attacking the group, the, attacking the flatterer will not loose the flatterer. Instead, it will incense the flatterer um, by saying that I'm not talking about telling them the truth about what they believe and about what their group teaches. But if you turn it into a personal attack, it will backfire on you. But as far as telling them the truth about it, you're not going to get them to see their need for a Savior until you show them in the Bible that what they are doing is not going to please the Savior. You've got to get past that too. Because you can tell them, hey, you're a sinner, and they go, oh, but I go to confessional. You have to show them that that confessional has no power in the Holy Scriptures to do anything to, f- to forgive them their sins or to grant them any forgiveness of sins because it doesn't. They say, you tell them, oh, well, you're an adulterer. Oh, I know I'm an adulterer, uh, but that's why I go to sacrament and I take Mass. So then you have to undermine the false hope of the Mass and show them from Scripture that there is no re- forgiveness of sins in the Mass. It cannot forgive their sins. So whenever I talked about not attacking their group, what I'm saying is just throwing names at and, and sneering at and mocking at their leaders. Oh, that big stupid blah, 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 blah. All you're going to do is... Um, all you're going to do then is cut them off because they associate their self-righteousness with that man's self-righteousness. Whatever cult you're dealing with, whatever cult leader you're dealing with, if you go into a personal attack against the man, against the uh, those personages, you'll lose them. But you, but you have to show them their need. And to do that, you're going to have to dig into why what they're doing is ineffectual. Back to covetousness and Second Peter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And by the way, I don't know much myself. I know next to nothing. All I know is what the Bible says. And everything else is, even my experiences, must be subject to the Bible. And I desperately need the Lord's help in dealing with any of these folks. And I want them to be saved. So Lord, help us. And Lord, help us today to understand your word. Open our eyes and our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, covetous, he says, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there should be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. These false prophets will use different means, um, including flattery, but here Peter's going to focus in on covetousness in verse 3. And he says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, because um, by reason of whom the truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. So this is really key right here. The feigned words and making merchandise of you. Whereas flattery... Um, flattery, which is the tool of the great whore, will eventually lead you into all kinds of overt sin following that chain of flattery. Remember that woman, she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face, said unto him, and by her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. She told him all these wonderful things about himself. And she got him to go into open sin. She's standing there telling him, I've decked my bed. This is a married woman telling another man she's not married to about her bed. That conversation is off limits. That conversation is out of bounds. Any thinking person knows this, but she's already gripped his heart with her flattery. And then she starts telling him things that are obviously wrong, but he won't walk away. And that's what that flattery does in the 
gospel. It begins by gripping the heart of the hearer and then begins to speak blasphemous things that are clearly blasphemy, but because the heart has been gripped, he follows into blasphemy. The difference in covetousness is the use of feigned words. Instead of openly saying blasphemous things and getting them to follow, the use the false prophet who uses covetousness uses the right words but applies different meanings to the words you hear me today this is the key this is the difference and the devil hates this stuff because he doesn't want you to see the difference he doesn't want you to know the difference the devil if he can't get you with flattery and here comes the flatterer to grip you by the nose and drag you along his way but if you're humble before God and broken and contrite you are immune to flattery as long as you are low before God and see yourself the way that God sees you and see your savior the way that God would have you see the savior you're immune to that flattery so he comes in next with the cloak of covetousness and he uses the words that you know and the words that you have learned, redemption, born again, sanctification, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptism of the Holy Ghost, tongues. He uses all these Bible words that are in the Bible, baptism, and he applies different meanings to them than what the Bible means when the Bible says them. And he comes in, and how does he get in there? He preaches, and he sounds just like your preacher at first. But as he preaches, he slips in, and that's why he says that um, these they will bring it privily, bring in damnable heresies. They sneak them in through covetousness. Shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you? They slip in. They prey on the on your natural but ungodly desires and your greedy nature to tr- to get you to ascribe to lies. So they say all the words that you know, but they. They use those words for personal gain for themselves and they promise you personal gain through adherence to those truths and all of a sudden they're shifting the meaning of the words and they're doing it as, as a promise of gain the bible talks about those who suppose that gain is godliness of such turn away and we're going to look at a whole bunch more scriptures here today but the next example that peter gives here he talks about the angels that sinned in the old world and then sodom and gomorrah and he goes down here and gives us lot in verse seven now what happened to lot lot was walking with abraham lot knew abraham and abraham was the friend of god the father of faith abraham believed god and it was counted to him for for righteousness. Lot was hearing the truth and knowing the truth, and Lot believed the truth, but then along came a day when Lot had to choose between walking with Abraham at the cost of personal possessions or going down to the Vale of Siddim and getting more riches. And he chose the Vale of Siddim. And that simple little choice set Lot on a course that would absolutely destroy his entire heritage, his family, his posterity forever. Even though Lot knew the truth, Lot was part of the... All right, let, let's just have a laugh on this one, right? Lot was, and we'll say it with love, but Lot was part of the First Baptist Church of Canaan. Abraham, the father of faith, here he is. So here was Lot, part of a church that knew the truth, a church that had the right doctrine, a church that had it down, a church that was going the right direction. He was with the father of faith, but covetousness caused him to sideline and go off to the side. If you are immune, even in your humility to flattery, that doesn't mean you're immune to covetousness. Now, covetousness works against Um, works against you because it's idolatry false prophets with their idols will not alarm you if you're covetous it's just a matter of time before you're the um, you meet the right one in the right circumstances and you get carried away in their damnable heresies you see idolatry can be overlooked by the covetousness 
by the covetous. They'll, they'll look by it. They'll look past it because they are idolaters themselves. If you are covetous, you have no defense against the false prophet. You may have some defense against the tongue of the flatterer, but you have no defense against the false prophet and his feigned words. You will not be able to tell the difference because you can't tell the difference between your own idols and God. Do you hear me? Whenever you get mixed up who God is, then you can't tell the difference between right and wrong anymore. And it's just a matter of time before you get carried away in the error of the wicked. Look at verse 14 here, 2 Peter. Having eyes full of adultery. By the way, that's idolatry when it's adultery. Adultery is a form of idolatry. Adultery is a fornicating act between people that are not married or that are married to other people other than those that they're doing the act with. And that adultery is because of covetousness. Adultery only happens after covetousness happens. Do you hear me? You got to want your neighbor's wife before you're with your neighbor's wife. And that desiring your neighbor's wife is condemned by God in the Ten Commandments as covetousness. He says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And if you never covet your neighbor's wife, you'll never be with your neighbor's wife. The covetousness is the lead-in to the act of adultery. So these false prophets have eyes full of adultery. Deep down in their heart, they are coveting everybody's wives. They're after everybody's wives. And they cannot cease from sin. They may try to cease because they know it's not in their best interest, but they can't cease. Their eyes are full of adultery. And they cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. So here they are saying all the right doctrines. They say justification by faith. They say you must be born again. They say um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They say um, believe and be baptized. They teach the doctrines of the Bible. But in their heart, the whole time they're teaching the doctrines of the Bible, they are given to covetousness. They want their neighbor's wife. They want their neighbor's truck. They want their neighbor's farm. They want their neighbor's church. They want their neighbor's pulpit. They want their neighbor's tractor. They want their neighbor's car. They want their neighbor's job. They want their neighbor's house. They want all these things and they can't get enough and they never will have enough because their eyes are full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. And so they covet earnestly all the day long. They covet, 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 but they know the right doctrine and they say the right things. The covetousness leads them down a path of destruction. It says in verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now that goes back to Numbers um, chapter 22 and chapter 24. You remember the story. You can go there real quick. Numbers 22. Lord, help us today. I'm doing a terrible job preaching this. This is talking about people who have given themselves over to these sins and have become false prophets. But you can be on the trail of a false prophet by courting these sins. And Lord, help us and deal with us and show us these things, these sins in their infancy. Show us these sins as they are in their beginning. So here's Balaam, and he's a prophet of God. Then chapter 22. It says that Balak, verse 2, the son of Zippor, saw, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And he says in verse 5, He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And uh, we're going to look more at that story. Story, Lord willing, tomorrow as it ties into the next section of First uh, Thessalonians. So we're not going to get into that a whole lot right now. You can study it out. Um, Numbers 22 and 23. 
But in verse 12, God told Balaam, Thou shalt not go with this people. Thou shalt not curse this people, for they are blessed. And we find Balaam conniving, Balaam working, Balaam wiggling his way around until he can get what he wants from God. And this desire, his covetousness, led him astray until he became a false prophet himself, and God eventually had him killed. We'll have to look at him a little bit more tomorrow. Go to the book of Proverbs. Covetousness is deadly. And covetousness applied to the gospel is deadly. Uh, covetousness works into the gospel and is, and is able to say all the right words of the gospel and maybe even have immaculate doctrine, perfect doctrine. You can have it all. I went to a church once that had about seven or eight names on its sign before you even got to the name of the church. It was the blah, 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 blah. Blah Church had all these names, and basically every one of its names was a doctrine. It had this doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine. They almost had a statement of faith up on the church sign. And when you got in the church, it was as cold as a freezer. It was cold, it was a deep chill. And the Spirit of God was not moving in the church. And they were trying desperately. And I, I thank God for the people there that are saved. They were trying desperately to do right. But it was cold. It was dead. And God was not in the midst. But they had, and by the way, everything they had on the sign was right. You can have all the right doctrine, but if covetousness has entered in, and I'm not saying that I saw that there, you don't have to see it. But whenever you, whenever covetousness enters in underneath and quenches the Spirit of God, you can say all the right doctrines and all the right truths, and there will be no power of the Spirit of God, and it's opening the door to the false prophets, and they're coming. They will come. It's only a matter of time before one of you becomes a false prophet or before one comes in and ravages the flock and scatters the flock or takes over the church and takes it after false doctrine. You see, being having your doctrine right is not as important as loving God. Did you hear me today? Did you know that you can be wrong about some doctrinal things? You can be wrong about when the rapture is going to take place and still love God and still go to heaven. Did you know that today? You can be wrong, get this one, you can be wrong about which Bible is right and still love God. Ah, oh, I don't know about that. You can. You absolutely can. Now God's going to deal with you about that one pretty quick because the Bible is where it's all at. The Bible is our the Bible is our rock. It's how God speaks to us today. And if your heart's towards God, he's going to show you the Bible issue and you're going to have to make a decision about it, but you can be wrong about it and love God. You can be wrong about a lot of things and still love God. You can be wrong about church polity. You can be wrong about what pastors are and what apostles are and what your understanding of tongues is. You can be wrong about these things and still love God. And if you love God, he'll use you. And you can be right about all of those things and your heart be after your idols of covetousness and you are dead in the water dead in the water and you're going to be made merchandise of and it's just a matter of time before the false prophets flip your little pond and your church is blown up and you're out of the water because your heart is not where it ought to be you've left your first love do you remember the first church there that got a letter from jesus christ the church of ephesus he said to them i have somewhat against these that i know thy labor thy patience and thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not he said nevertheless i have somewhat ought against thee because thou hast left thy first love the gospel is a gospel of love did you know that the gospel is a gospel of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Without love there would be no gospel. And the greatest commandment in the Bible is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength and love thy neighbor as thyself. If you are covetous, you cannot love God and you cannot love your neighbor. Now, what would this, how does all this apply, going back again to our text? A cloak of covetousness. A cloak of covetousness. What is he, what is he saying? People who love position, prestige, and all of the 
provision that comes with it, all the money, will say all the right things and say all the right doctrines to get people to give them a place of honor where they can rake in the cash. And anybody can say whatever they want to say. You might not think that's true, but it's true. Look at me over here. I want you to say jelly bean squid. Say it. Jelly bean squid, thank you. He said it. Now, did he believe that? Did he really believe it? Not at all. He said it because I told him to, and I'm grateful he did. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And so my son there obeyed me, and I'm grateful for that. That's the right thing for him to do. But you can say whatever you want to say. You can say nonsense, and you can say sense. And you can say all of it for the sense that starts with a C. C-E-N-T-S, which is money. So you can say whatever you want to say. You can, the, the, Bible say, the Bible says here that they will use feigned words to make merchandise of you. They say one thing and they mean another. And what they do is they get you in there to get your money and they play with your mind and they play with your natural desires and as soon as they get you greedy and as soon as they get you covetous, you stop loving God and they can lead you through your covetousness. And now they're making merchandise of you through your covetousness and you're following men instead of God and this we've watched this happen all over the nation we've watched this happen to the Pentecostal movement with the um, name it claim it crowd and the prosperity preaching crowd come to Jesus and you'll be healed of all your physical diseases you'll have all your bills paid send us a thousand dollars God's a debtor to no man send us your seed money send us your seed faith money God will give you ten thousand if you give me one thousand and people have gone wholesale after that. Well, how did that start? To a thinking person, it's pretty ludicrous. You see some guy up there with snake eyes standing up behind a pulpit, grinning like a grinning like a circus leader. It's like a circus man, and he's telling all these people, if you send me a thousand dollars, God'll send you ten. And any thinking person says, That guy's a cheat. That guy's a shyster. But why do people send him money? They didn't start there. Do you hear me? It starts with the cloak of covetousness. The gospel being preached under a pretense in order to get your dollars and cents. Do you hear me? And then as you, as you allow that, as you continue to countenance that, because you know not the power of God and you don't have the Spirit of God moving in your midst but you're just punching a clock and you've hired your hirelings and you're going about your business of church as if it's as if it is a business and you're busy doing it because it's the right thing to do but not out of a love for God over time that covetousness creeps in gets a hold of your heart and you begin to be made merchandise of and then the sky's the limit it's just a matter of how far the devil drags you down into his den so let's look at Proverbs here, as we were saying that we were going to do. And let's look at um, covetousness answered from Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 3. And then we'll look, um, we're going to look some at Proverbs um, exposing covetousness. Um, so go to Proverbs 3 and 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than... The merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. So she's more precious than rubies. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Um, let's look at Proverbs 1, and we'll see the covetousness exposed. Um, Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Now you would, you would immediately say, No, we're not going to do that. You would immediately react to that, but the thing is it doesn't start there. It starts with the covetousness. And he says, If sinners entice thee, consent 
tempt thou not. And so they say, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. This is the cry of the socialist, by the way. If you want to see the Bible's commentary on the, social, on the humanist manifesto and on the communist manifesto, read Proverbs 1, 10 through 18. And he says here, cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. He says, stay away from those guys, don't walk in their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood, they lurk privily for their own lives. So are every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Now where did this begin? My son of sinners entice thee. Help us, Lord, right now. Forgive me, Lord, for my covetousness and help me, Lord, to be right with you. Fill me with your spirit so that I can teach and preach, Lord God. I can't do this without you. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Back down, Satan. Drive him back, Lord, for Christ's sake. And in Jesus' name, amen. So Proverbs chapter 1 there, how did it start? My son, if sinners entice thee, if who entices thee? Sinners, Proverbs is going to expose covetousness for us here. How do you recognize covetousness before you see, before you know it's covetousness? In the gospel, particularly. We're we're mainly focusing on with the gospel. How do you recognize a cloak of covetousness in the gospel before they try and take all your money? How do you figure it out before you're suckered into them? This is the key. It's right here in Proverbs 1.10. My son, if sinners entice thee. When a man who is an open sinner is speaking the truth of the Bible and he's saying the right things and using the right words, but he is living in sin. You are being enticed by a sinner right there. That's where it starts. That is the beginning of the end. Now, he's not going to walk up to you right away and say, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lay wait for the innocent without cause. He's not going to call you into the church business meeting and say, here, as your new pastor, I want to tell you my dastardly plan for getting rich off of the widows. I want to start a widows group program and get as many old people into the church as we can. We're going to have senior activities. We're going to do all this stuff. And all the while, we're going to butter them up and then encourage them to give liberally to the church and hope that they will eventually deed over their property to the church. So we're going to tell them whatever they need to hear and we're going to befriend them and act nice to them and I want you to lead this endeavor. He's not going to come at you that way until he's sure that you're in cahoots with him in as deep as he is as deep as he is. So how are you going to discern the cloak of covetousness? You have to discern it, and you can only discern it by seeing the sinner enticing thee. Whenever a man is living in sin, unrepentant sin, and he is continuing in the ministry, he is a sinner enticing thee. And he can be using all the right words and all the right doctrine, and it is a sin. There are disqualifications in the Bible. Did you know that? A man can be disqualified from serving in the capacity of a elder in the word of God. There are many reasons that a man can be disqualified. A lot of people talk about marriage because that's a hot topic in America with the divorce rate added as it is. But there are several more. There's more than 10. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. But there are many. His children not accused of riot and unruly. So let's pick on that one for a minute. Let's say you've got a pastor and he's, and he's pastoring the flock. And he's got three boys that are in there. Let's say he's got one 12 and one 14 and one 16-year-old boy. And they're pastoring and they're distributing illegal drugs in church. And he won't do anything about it. But he keeps on pastoring. This is a sinner enticing you. I don't care how many good books he's written. I don't care how much other stuff he's done. He is living in sin and preaching the truth at the same time. And it's a cloak of covetousness. And that exposes his cloak of covetousness. If he really loved God, he wouldn't do it. He would rein in his kids or step down or both. Do you hear me today? I know this seems extreme, but it's not extreme. It says, and it does say there, the husband of one wife. 
And so a man that says that he loves God, but he runs off with another man's wife and marries her and continues in the ministry in that, with that sin, he is ministering under a cloak of covetousness. Now, again, covetousness doesn't necessarily mean that you want money, but he wanted his neighbor's wife. And that cloak of covetousness, that desire, his ministry is a means through which he's able to fulfill his desire. And it becomes a cloak of covetousness. Boy, that's thick, isn't it? That gets really thick, doesn't it? It gets really difficult. Let's look at some more verses. Um, let's see here. Let's look at Proverbs ten fifteen. Let's look at some more um, of the exposing of covetousness before we look at the um, answers to covetousness from Proverbs chapter ten, um, verse fifteen says, "A rich man's wealth is his strong city." A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and it talks about the poor there in the second half. But his trust is in his rich, in his in his richness. This is um, covetousness exposed. Um, verse two: Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivered from death. We'll look at that in the answer to covetousness. It applies more there. Eleven twenty-eight. Go to eleven twenty-eight. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Now, this could come into a church. Uh, the church is trusting in its bank account, trusting in its savings account. Won't spend the money the way that God tells them to. I'm not saying you can't have savings, but whenever your trust has been transferred to the savings, it's covetousness. And then the preaching of the gospel becomes a cloak of covetousness. Keeping the doors open, your love has shifted from the love of God to the love of money. And when that's happened and you keep on preaching the gospel, you're doing it with a cloak of covetousness. And it's going to grow and abound into more and more and more and more sin and covetousness. And you and your people will be made merchandise of. It's just a matter of time. And it doesn't matter, again, how good the preacher ever was. Do you hear me today? There is not a man alive who doesn't have a sin nature. Every single man alive, every woman, every child has a sin nature. And everyone that has ever lived is um, susceptible to the wiles of the devil. Beware the cloak of covetousness in the Bible. Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. And listen to me today. A man may start out really good and really bless you and really be a blessing to you. And this is what happens and has happened to America. And then people become loyal to the man and they support the man. And then the man turns off and gets into sin and they won't pull back from the man. And what are they expressing when they do that? They're expressing that they are being made merchandise of. They are following a man. Their love has been stolen from Christ and applied to a man. And that's why they cannot be judicious towards that man. And they say, well, he's got a great personality. And he said he was sorry. I'm thinking about old... um Oh, Lord, help me. I don't want to start naming a bunch of names. I'm thinking about one guy this lady told me about who left his wife, married another woman, and then came back. And he's got a more profitable ministry today than he's ever had. And he's, his ministry is still growing. And he's still preaching like crazy. But And they, oh, he said he was sorry. Listen to me. You run off with your wife for another man? Go preach on the street. You say you're still a preacher? Go preach on the street to the lost. But don't you try and pastor a church. Do you hear me today? You disqualify yourself. You're out of the bounds of Scripture. You're to be the husband of one wife, to be an elder. You can still preach and not be a pastor, but your ability to shepherd the flock of God has been ended by your sin, and your repentance can't change the consequence. And if I'm wrong about that, then Lord, please correct me. I want to be really careful there because I don't want to um, unjustly judge anyone. And I certainly need mercy in many areas of my life. Just because I haven't sinned in one area doesn't mean I haven't sinned in another. I agree with all that, but that doesn't change God's holy standard. Um, My sin does not excuse your sin. God is still holy, and He's righteous, and He's just, and He's pure. 
But what has happened in America is we overlook the sin of a man because we think that he's been a help to us and we don't recognize that the cloak of covetousness has already been pulled over our eyes because our love has departed from our first love of Christ. I feel like I'm just muddling through this today, doing a terrible job, partly because of how much God's convicting me as I go through it of my own covetousness and my own, the own, my own wicked tendencies that I must ask God for help for. Hard to preach whenever you feel like you should just stop and get on your face and pray and beg God for mercy, which I have done and I ask, have asked Him for. And He said He's faithful and just to forgive me. So here we go on. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. So these that oppress the poor, they, they get rich off the poor of the flock, reproach their maker. They may preach all the right doctrine, but if they're oppressing the poor, they're reproaching their maker. Do you hear me today? Um, Proverbs chapter 17, go quickly, 23. we got to move faster. A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. Oh, we'll take that donation to church. Yeah, we, we don't have to talk about that one subject you don't like anymore. And they pervert the ways of justice, 18.11. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it. Or that's a good verse, but not the right one. 18.11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and as a high wall in his conceit, his trust is in his riches. He's unmovable because of his riches. He sins and he does wrong things, but people forgive him and they leave him in power because of his riches. Uh, meanwhile, the poor is kicked out of the pulpit. And this is a common malady in our country. A poor man, often what God will anoint a poor man to preach and the church won't allow the poor man to exercise his office because he can't buy the votes necessary to get in the pulpit. Um, 19 verse 4, wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. And there it is again. Uh, let's look at 19.6. This exposes um, covetousness. Um, many will entreat the favor of the prince and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Verse 7, all the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. How many poor preachers are in their little churches out in the hills, and they pursue their friends with words, yet they are wanting unto him. Their churches are empty, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Maybe they're the, some of the most qualified ministers of the gospel that have ever walked the face of this earth. Some of the most pure in heart, some of the most honest, some of the most good, some of the most careful shepherds of the flock, qualified in skills, in gifting, and in preaching of the gospel to run the biggest church this nation has ever seen. But they preach in a little backwoods, clapboard siding church with three or four people coming to church every Sunday because the poor is separated from his own neighbor. The cloak of covetousness has been pulled over this nation's eyes. Chapter 20 and verse 10, diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. This means you judge one matter one way for the poor and you judge the same matter a different way for the rich. So whenever the rich man's kid runs across the stage, you smile and laugh and say, kids will be kids. But then whenever the dirty little rascal from the poor family gets up on the steps, you snarl at him and bark. Diverse weights. This is going to get into respect of persons. We're just slogging through here. This isn't fun, but it's um, what we need and it's where we're at. Um, and we're going to get into some of that respect of persons tomorrow that these verses deal with. John, verse 14. Look at verse 14. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he has gone his way, he boasteth. And this happens all the time in the church house. It happens all the time where we talk down the things that we want and we talk up the things that we have. Um, diverse weights are an abomination in 2023. Go to, um, I think it's 2021. An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. Just getting in the money, getting in the crowd, getting in everything as fast as you can. This is what our church and our nation has gone over to, a desire for gain. Listen to me, covetousness is a desire for gain. If you get more people in the church, it means more money in your coffers. If, it, if you get more money in the coffers, it means a hierarchy and more people that you can distribute the money to that will vote you a bigger salary, etc., etc. It doesn't have to be that way, but it often is that way. Now, there are churches that God has blessed with many people. I think of the, um, the tabernacle, I forget what the name of it was now, but Brother... 
Spurgeon, Brother Charles Spurgeon's church that God used mightily in London, England, was a very, very large church, and God blessed them um, in many ways. So the cloak of covetousness does not mean that this applies to rich people. Poor people can just be as just as rich. We talked about the poor preacher that's qualified to run the biggest church in America, but everybody passes him by because he won't pet them and he won't flatter them and he won't build them up and buy them with his covetousness and with his riches. But at the, by the same token, there are little churches and little pastors all over the nation sitting around coveting the bigger churches, coveting the big pulpits, coveting the big paychecks, coveting the line light um, coveting greedily all the day long and for whatever reason they didn't make it um, by the way covetousness is dog eat dog covetousness is the corporate mindset the climb the ladder step on people's heads to get to the top mindset jesus said he that would be greatest among you let him be least he that would be the master let him be the servant was the principle that jesus taught and at the last supper he girded himself with a towel and he washed the feet of his disciples one of the ways you can tell a covetous minister from a from a true minister is does he serve the flock does he does he serve others or is it all about himself is it is he always me first is it always me first does he have to have the number one parking spot does he have to have the nicest car does he have to have the biggest seat does he have to get introduced at the front every time does he have to be the one with his name on everything that goes out um that kind of a spirit is a spirit of covetousness it's a spirit of this cloak of covetousness and the gospel gets preached with that cloak of covetousness and then people get bought into it and are following a man and his riches instead of god a rich wealthy powerful man will get a follower a following no matter what he does no matter what he does a rich wealthy man can start a porta potty convention and he'll have thousands of people come wealth maketh many friends the bible says 21 7 the robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment They refuse to do judgment. This is our churches across America. They refuse to do judgment. The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them. They are busy taking money from families. They bring in the family. And here comes the family. Let's say that they're the the John's family. I don't know any John's family, so we'll just put it up there. They're the John's family. And their daughter is living in an immoral relationship. She's shacking up. And so the family, Mr. and Mrs. John's, tell them, well, we don't want you to have to suffer so we're going to let you guys just move into the bedroom and live in our house and eat our food and you're going to live here with us and they're living in this immorality and the family's countenancing it and they're coming to church and that John's family is tithing and the preacher will not say anything about it he shuts his mouth he backs it down furthermore the bible says not even to eat with them not even to eat with them that are fornicating that call themselves Christians but the John's family gets a place of honor at every fellowship meal and the church will not do judgment. The robbery of the wicked is their destruction. The robbery of the wicked is their destruction, shall destroy them. There in verse 7, because they refuse to do judgment. It will catch up with them. It will destroy them. They are robbing God. They are robbing that family. That family thinks they're tithing to God and they're not. And instead, those men are taking that money that is cursed and they're accepting it and bringing it into their bosom and they won't say anything about it. That family is not tithing and that church is not receiving tithe. That church is robbing from a family in sin that needs to be judged. And show them the truth of the gospel so they can be delivered from their sin. The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment. Let's look at 28.11. Oh, this is just plowing. Nobody likes to plow. Actually, let's, yeah, 28.11. We'll come back to that other one. 28.11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. The rich man is wise in his own conceit. Nobody will tell the rich man he's wrong. That's one of the reasons he's so wise in his own conceit. But the poor man sitting there doesn't say anything. Nobody asks him his opinion, but he knows the truth of the whole situation. And while the rich man standing up there in his conceit, blubbering on like an idiot, um, 
blubbering on like a fool, to use the biblical word, blubbering on like a fool, and that poor man's sitting there and has him completely figured out and pegged, and that rich man doesn't know it, nor does he care because that guy's poor. 28-22, an angry man stirreth up strife. Well, that's a good verse, but that is not what I was looking for. I'm in 29. 28 22, he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. This massive push for church growth is evidence of an evil eye. This massive push for more people, more programs, more money, more funding, instead of a push for more righteousness, more holiness, more power of God, more presence of God, is evidence of an evil eye. The evil eye is an eye that desires greedily all the day long. Look at, um, it says, hath an evil eye. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. And now go back to 23.6, and we're going to see what the Bible says about this evil eye. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. You are being taken merchandise of. He says, eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Somebody that is hasting to be rich. Somebody that's pushing for nickels and noses. Get out of their church. Go get you an old backwoods Bible preacher that believes the word of God if that's all you can find. And I don't care if the man graduated from Cambridge University. If he believes the Bible and follows the Bible, I'll back him. I'm not against a degree if it be in the Lord. But the reality is that 99.9 and plus and up of degree keepers and holders have backslid and have transgressed and sold out their doctrine and their beliefs and sold out the Bible to get their degree. You find a good Bible believer, even if it's a poor, dirt poor church where you don't get any attention, where you have to sit on a rough, sawn wood bench, and there's no air conditioning, you got to swap flies all summer, and you got to stoke the fire all winter, but get under the word of God that's preached without covetousness and without flattery. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. He says, eat, eat, but his heart is not with thee. He tells you, come on, here's another good one. Swallow it down, but his heart is not with thee. He will use you up. He will spit you out. He will run you over. You will be used up. You will be broken. And at the end of it all, you will have nothing to show for it because he robbed you blind. He took every dollar that you had to advance his cause, his church, his programs. And at the end of it, you've got nothing. And when you've got nothing, nothing he's done with you eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye get out of that stuff get a real bible believer that's preaching the word of god in truth without covetousness and without flattery god help us today covetousness answered let's move on to it no we're running out of time here really fast but we're going to dig into some of these verses about the answer to covetousness um go to proverbs 8 Back to Proverbs 8, and we're going to wrap it up as soon as we run through these verses, Lord willing, pick up again tomorrow with respect of persons. Nobody likes to hear about that one, but we're going to preach on it. So you can tune off in advance if you want to. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 11. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Would you rather be rich or wise? 8 18. Riches and honor are with me. This is wisdom speaking, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Would you rather eat a dry piece of crusty bread and be full of the wisdom of God, or eat in king's palaces and know the right answers but have no life in your soul? Chapter 10, verse 2. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He casteth away the substance of the wicked. Verse 22. The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. God says he would not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but your body may get pretty hungry. 
11.24 There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. You want the answer to covetousness? You sense covetousness in your heart? Stop. Start scattering. If you say, oh man, I wish I had a better car. Why don't you save up and buy a better car for a missionary? And keep driving your clunker. It will cure you. Do it a couple times. You'll be afraid to covet anything ever again. In case maybe you have to do that again. It'll cure you. Just start scattering. Scattering destroys covetousness. Giving. Giving freely to God's work and God's people. Not to these shysters. Remember that. You give them everything you've got. You won't get any blessing from it. Um, 13. Send me your seed money. 13. Four, you send them your seed money and you'll sit there and beg and be harvest and harvest and have nothing. Well, they get fat on your money, the, uh, which is interesting that 13.4 is talking about the soul, the slugger desireth and hath nothing. That's a lot of these folks that send their seed money in. They're sitting there on their couch and they want to get rich quick. So they get preyed upon by these covetousness, by these covetous people. It says, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Quit sending them your seed money. Go out, buy a shovel with it and get a job and work hard. So let's see here, 13, oh, you didn't want to hear that. I'm sorry. Verse 7, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Did you hear that today? There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. If you want great riches, invest in God's kingdom. Um, 14.24, 14.24, the crown of the wise is their riches, But the foolishness of fools is folly. Are you content with a crown of wisdom? Are you content with a crown of godliness and holiness? And to be dressed in poor clothes and poor raiment? And to be overpassed and not have any friends? The Bible's true. You try being poor. You won't have friends. You'll lose them all. Oh, they might be nice to you and stuff, but nobody's going to be your buddy if you're poor. Nobody's going to hang out with you. You know that. Except maybe that other poor family, but you guys can't afford to get together or do anything because you're too poor. Are you content to be poor with a crown of righteousness on your head? 1527, he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. You want to um, whip covetousness? Say no when people give you gifts. And you don't have to say it that way. If it's a good friend, say thank you so much. I appreciate that you wanted to give this to me. I don't want to take it. And I have, I have purposed in my heart that I will not take that from you. But I'm so glad that you wanted to give that to me. And I'm grateful for that. And I appreciate you. But I, I cannot receive that. I've lifted up my hand to the Lord that I will not receive that thing. He that hateth gifts shall live. It saved Abraham's neck. Go back and read that story when the king of Sodom tried to give Abraham a bunch of stuff. Um, Proverbs 20. And verse 15, there is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Would you rather study your school and have a lip of knowledge, lips of knowledge that speak knowledge, or would you rather have a box full of gold and jewels? Would you rather your lips were a jewel of knowledge or your hands be full full of jewels and gold that you could spend If you'd rather have the spending, then you're covetous. This is what God's talking about today. Your heart is gone after your covetousness if you'd rather have that. 21, 26. He coveteth greedily. This is the slothful for his hand. The desire of the slothful killeth him for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. The righteous giveth and spareth not. The cure for covetousness is hard work and liberal giving. The cure for covetousness. Work harder, give freely. Um, 22.1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. 23.4, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. There's a difference between hard work and laboring to be rich. 
Work hard, give freely, labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Listen, you want to whip covetousness, memorize this verse and think about it. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. The money just makes itself wings and flies away. Burn that in your heart. Don't trust in uncertain riches. Um, 23, 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Do you want to whip covetousness? Don't envy sinners. Look to the end. Look to glory. Look to heaven. Look to where the streets are paved with gold. Lay up to yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also 28 6 we are almost done 28 6 better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways though he be rich 28 27 he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse give of what you have cures covetousness, cheerful giving. Find poor who are legitimately poor. Find some guy that's working hard and barely making it, and his hospital bills are about to sink him, and his car's broken down, and pay the mechanic to fix his car, and don't tell him you did it. Don't tell him. Just call the mechanic and tell him, bill me and don't tell him. And God will bless you and you will get riches in heaven and it will beat back the covetousness that's growing in your heart as you give. Not to be seen, but given in private. That's just a suggestion. Um, 30 verse 8. It says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Father, in Jesus' name, please forgive us any covetousness of our hearts. Protect us from covetousness. Loose us from it. From it, Help us to recognize the gospel preached with covetousness, the enticement of sinners, Lord, who do not obey the gospel but say the right words, but in their hearts they obviously do not believe it because they do not follow it, they do not obey it. Lord, protect us from all such, loose us from their wiles, help us to not be made merchandise of them in Jesus' name and for His sake, amen.